Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Throughout the rich history of God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio, perhaps no one has served as camp evangelist more than Wingrove Taylor. I know you're going to enjoy this sermon that he preached in 1978 at the God's Bible School camp, and he titles it, Earthly Possessions. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on, and on. The more I walk with the Lord, the more I realize that Christianity is a rounded experience. Yes, it does have to do with being in camps like this and getting blessed in our souls. But it also has to do with those down-to-earth, practical elements of living. I take Christ with me into every single area of my living. Mrs. Taylor and I have been celebrating this year our 25th, our silver wedding anniversary, and the presence and the aid of Christ in our marriage is just a wonderful thing. In fact, as we were flying up here to North America, one of the hostesses was passing out immigration forms for the U.S. Immigration Department to persons, of course, who were not American citizens. I, I'm not sure just where Mrs. Taylor was at the moment, but she was addressing her questions to me, and she said, um, are you an American citizen? And I said, no. And then she said, and, and your bride? <laughs> to me, that was one of the greatest honors that could be bestowed on a couple in their 25th anniversary year. <laughs> and we were not conducting ourselves either. At least physically, we were not conducting ourselves like newlyweds. It wasn't quite as when we were flying down to Trinidad 25 years before. But I believe that if we were not conducting ourselves physically as newlyweds, we must have been conducting ourselves in character and emotion like newlyweds. 
And somehow she picked up, as they say, the vibes. She picked up something. And she said, and your bride. Well, that's what Jesus does, you know, my dear friends. I say that's what Jesus does. He comes right down into the practical elements of living. I just can't get to dislike my wife if I tried. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Something comes up that seems to irk, and right in the midst of the irk, I feel a love. <laughs> really wonderful, really wonderful. I don't know why people don't turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's so wonderful. He works in every single area of life, right down. I don't name it. Christ has an answer for us. And so he has a word for us in the area of earthly possessions. We would direct your attention to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And I wonder if you'd permit the reading of the scripture this morning. Sometimes we know it, but sometimes we must be reminded of it. St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Beginning at verse 19, Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, 
take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We shall end the reading at that point. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, once more we ask that the Holy Spirit may aid us as we speak for thee today. We are reminded again that it is by thy Spirit that the Word becomes life. We think of the apostles being filled with the Spirit to speak. May we have that fullness this morning as we share thy Word for our good and for thy glory. Amen. You realize that the passage from which we have read is the passage known as the Sermon on the Mount, and some people have called it the Manifesto of Christ's Kingdom. And you know, of course, that the principles upon which Christ's Kingdom is established is so different from the principles of this old world. And I am so glad that there are Christian principles involved even in the matter of our earthly possessions. And I think as we look at this passage of Scripture coming directly to what Christ has to say to us, that he appears to be warning us, first of all, about evilly loving earthly possessions. He appears to be warning us about evilly loving worldly possessions. He reminds us that we may evilly love earthly possessions. He warns us about this. And whenever earthly possessions become our idols, whenever we go into the idolatry of earthly possessions, we are loving earthly possessions in an evil way. And you notice here that the Lord says that some people have their treasures positioned on earth. And that some people's hearts are directed to earth because their treasures are on earth. It appears to me that if our hearts are evil and sinful, they can make idols out of earthly possessions. And when our hearts make idols out of earthly possessions then those earthly possessions, those idols, in turn, mold our hearts. And so we have a vicious cycle. I have made earthly possessions my God, 
and this evil false god turns around and fashions my heart until more and more love must be placed on earthly possessions. What an awful thing, my friends. What an awful thing it is when earthly possessions become a man's chief good. This is his chief good. This is what he wants. This is where his treasure is. This is where his heart is. His whole soul goes out to earthly possessions. And you know, my friends, it's possible to get trapped in that kind of living until earthly possessions become one's chief good. But the next step is a very short one. For if earthly possessions become my chief good, then it will not be long before earthly possessions become my false god. It follows. And Jesus Christ makes it very clear here that earthly possessions can be served. We can serve mammon. Mammon can become our god. We set up a worship of mammon. And so here is this danger of idolatry. But not only is there a danger of idolatry, perhaps we might infer that there is also a danger of iniquity. Iniquity. The love of money is the root of all evil. And when people establish earthly possessions as their chief good, and when people establish earthly possessions as their false god, they can get to a place where they will stop at nothing to accumulate and acquire earthly possessions. And so, my friends, this area of iniquity I think uh, is related to two applications. One, how we acquire earthly possessions. How we acquire earthly possessions. Jesus, or God in the word of God, reminds the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 20 that that which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Altogether just. I tell you, that's a pretty straight measure in line, my friends. That in this world we must be altogether just. And you remember in the book of Proverbs that God warns about a false balance being an abomination to the Lord. But a just weight is his delight. God is delighted when our conduct and our behavior and our activity and our planning is altogether just. We will do not one evil thing in the acquisition of earthly possessions. I wonder if the world had to be brought before the judgment bar of God this morning 
I wonder if some of the wealthy of the world had to be brought before the judgment bar of God this morning. What the account might reveal as to how they have acquired their wealth. You know, there are many evil practices in our world. And people know how to swindle. They know how to cheat. They know how to get earthly possessions. The stealing, the robbing, the conniving of this world in the area of earthly possessions would make our hearts grieved almost unto death if we could know it. But for God's people, for God's children, we stay away from this area of iniquity in how we acquire wealth. There must always be honesty and uprightness and aboveboardness. Praise the Lord. And thank God we can be that way. We can refuse to stoop to any evil methods for acquiring earthly gain. Let us rather be poor. Let us rather have nothing than to stoop to sinful and evil ways in order to acquire riches. Amen. And God can help us to resist the temptation, my friends. No matter what the temptation may be, God can help us to resist the temptation. Not long ago, a Christian was speaking to me and said, Well, uh, Brother Taylor, what about when I fill out my income tax returns? And I said to her, Daughter, don't ever let the enemy tempt you. You just be fair and honest. And once you are, you will find it's not such a big battle after all. But once the enemy gets in and tries to make you underhanding and underhanded and deceptive, that thing can take a hold of you until you don't know how to get out of it. Oh, that God would keep us from the iniquity of how we acquire wealth. And then, oh, that God would keep us from the iniquity of how we administer wealth. It's not only how I acquire it, but it is also how earthly possessions are administered. And perhaps Luke chapter 16 is one of the finest illustrations in the Bible concerning the dangers of a wrong administration of wealth. And you know, you know the stories. In the early chapter, in the early verses of the chapter, we have the story of the unjust steward. Barclay says that this is one of the biggest pack of rascals he can find. Turn to chapter 16 of Luke and you will see them. He says the steward was a rascal. The way he handled his Lord's money, and then when he found that he was to be exposed, 
the, the underhanded methods he used to try to, to cover up and get by. So he said the steward was a rascal. And then he said that the creditors of the master of the steward, they were rascals because when he went out and told them, how much do you owe the Lord? And they said so much, said write down and change the figure, make another figure. They were rascals. And then he, he says that uh, somehow the, 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 the master himself, the certain rich man himself was a rascal because when he found out what his steward had done and what his debtors had done, he commended the steward as though to say, well, you know, you only did it first or second. I, I do this all the time. This is the way I make my wealth. What a pack of rascals. This is the way people administer earthly possessions. Oh, my friends, God does not want us administering worldly possessions like this. And I think that this whole matter, this whole matter of, of idolatry and iniquity can be summed up in the fact that God does not want us to worship our earthly possessions. And on the other hand, God does not want us to withhold our earthly possessions from his cause and from his kingdom. And then do you notice here, God does not want us to waste earthly possessions when we administer them. It is an extremely important thing that we should give our earthly possessions. We should make available our earthly possessions to the Lord. And it is also an extremely important thing that the treasurers of our churches and the people who administer the funds should not waste those things that we give to God. I tell you this whole matter of the Christ philosophy and teaching and theology in Christian giving is a very profound one. So we can evilly love money when earthly possessions become a matter of idolatry, when earthly possessions lead us to iniquity, and when earthly possessions lead us into what we might call infidelity or unbelief. And do you notice here in this passage of scripture that Jesus Christ talks about some people who seem to work as though there is no God. They, they, they're almost working their fingers off, as we say. And Jesus Christ had to say to them, friends, don't you see how the birds live? Don't you see how the lilies live? Don't you see I take care of the birds and I take care of the lilies and I will take care of you? And Christ was by no means advocating laziness. Christ was by no means advocating carelessness, but he merely meant to say that there is a tremendous principle that life is more than meat, that the body is more than raiment, that he cares for the fowls of the air and the lilies of the field, and that we are more precious than birds and we are more durable than grass. 
And if I take care of these passing things, don't you think I'll take care of you? Oh, I tell you, there are some people who work as though God never exists. They're working their fingers off. In fact, I believe that that is one of the things, that, that is one of the areas, or, or, or that is an area in which our society today has been so cursed. We, we, have, we have felt a tremendous urge, we must have more, we must have more, and, and we work our fingers off, as it were, until we have hardly any time to raise the family, we have hardly any time to worship God and to take time to be holy. You understand, friends, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying that God has to help us to remember that he is up there. Praise the Lord. And he will care for us. Amen. I remember when I was going into the ministry, one of the questions, obviously, that came to the fore, Lord, how, how will I make it financially? The Lord says, leave that to me. I said, Lord, but uh, I haven't had a chance to prepare for the ministry and go to Bible school. How shall I make it there? He said, leave that to me. You know, here at God's Bible School, they used to have a group in the years gone by called the GIs of the Cross. I think we have an old GI over there that keeps shouting. And they went down to Jamaica for a campaign, and, and my brother was in Bible school in Jamaica, and somehow they were so taken up with this young man, this young minister, that they felt that they should offer him a scholarship to God's Bible school. But he was just about finishing Bible school training in Jamaica, had plans to be married. And the church had asked him to be appointed to one of the largest churches in the Caribbean. And he decided that he would not accept the scholarship. But just about that time, I had answered the call to the ministry. And my brother knew that. We were far apart once, though in the same home. And after I got saved, I wrote him and I said, My dear brother, we are brothers twice. Brothers by physical blood and now brothers in the Lord. And then it wasn't long after that that I wrote him again. And his name is IRA and mine is a little longer, Wingrove. But this time I wrote him, and I put down a little triangle, and I said, we are brothers thrice. I am now glad to report that we are not only brothers by blood, we are brothers in the Lord. And I said, brother, I've got good news for you. God has called me to the ministry, and I've answered, and now we are brothers in the ministry. And so on that little triangle, I put W on one side, and I on one side, and N on one side. And you know, for a long time, Brother and I signed our letters that way. W-I-N on the three sides of the triangle, and I-R-A on the three sides of the triangle. 
And it wasn't long after I had written him this letter and told him about my call to the ministry that this opportunity came his way. And so he turned to these people and he said, well, I cannot accept, but I have a brother who has just gone into the ministry. Would you give him the scholarship? That's how I came to God's Bible School. Oh, my friends, why do we work sometimes as though there is no God? And talk about God caring. How wonderful. You know, I came to this country, served the Lord. One of the joys of my heart was that the things of America could never hold me. God was so gracious. I remember one day driving down through Cincinnati and I looked at these tall and towering buildings so much greater than anything uh, we might have in the Caribbean at least at that time. And all of a sudden I began to get blessed and started to laugh out loud or loudly. And you know why? As I was driving I could almost see the buildings having hands. All the wonderful things that you have in America having hands, but hands too short to reach me. Praise the Lord. Hands too short to hold me. Because God is calling me to serve in the Caribbean. Oh, we don't have to uh, carry on as though God isn't up there. Oh, no, my friend. And you know, after I left and went back to the islands, and we had met many friends, I suppose many of them could have helped greatly financially, and yet God never led any of them hardly to assist. But there was one little lady. I'm sure her circumstances were very limited. But she wrote and said, you know, I feel God wants me to send you $10 every month. Oh, my dear friends, if you could only know how beautiful and wonderful that envelope looked some months to wife and me, if you could only know how that $10 seemed, and across the years, faithfully, every month, every month, $10. Not a month did she fail. And then, at our district, we got a raise of salary. Something about that $10 per month. And sometime after that, she wrote a letter. She says, now I know you will understand. Across these years, and they could have been many, five, six, seven of those years, faithfully every month. She says, I have faithfully sent you, but now I am retiring. Now I am only on social security. And somehow I feel God releasing me from this $10. I tell you, that letter was as sweet to us as the other letters bearing the $10. Because it indicated how accurate God is in leading and guiding and directing his people. And oh, my friends, if you only knew that there, was, there is a God in heaven, and there is a God in heaven, and our faith can be in him, we won't have to be filled with infidelity and unbelief and work as though there is no God. For there is God. He cares for the lilies. He cares for us. 
But not only does infidelity lead people to work as though there is no God, infidelity leads people to worry as though there is no God. Notice how many times in this chapter Jesus says, take no thought. Unfortunately, this is how it appears in our, our King James Version. And according to our contemporary definition, uh, we would not quite understand the full impact of take no thought. Actually, that word means do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not be disquieted. Do not be disturbed about tomorrow. It does not mean that you must not plan for tomorrow. But what it means is, do not be all wrought up with anxiety. Do not be disturbed and disquieted in your soul. For God is up there. He cares for the lilies. He will care for you. Oh, praise the Lord. Yes, evilly loving earthly possessions may lead us to idolatry will lead us to iniquity, will lead us to infidelity. But there is one other area of danger when we evilly love earthly possessions. It can lead us to insensitivity. You notice here that Jesus Christ says in verse 22 that if your eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. No, in, yes, in verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Now I know that single eye means in some uh, areas sincerity and truth. But reading in one of the commentaries once, I found a definition which I believe fits in a little more wonderfully with the context, it says that the single eye is really the generous eye. If your eye is generous. Do you know some people with stingy eyes? Ever seen any people afflicted with that kind of affliction? And it seems as though the eye doctors have no kind of prescription for that sort of thing. A stingy eye. My friend, I know what I'm talking about. I know some people also with generous eyes. In the little island where I was born, back there in those days, we didn't have electricity. We didn't have any ice. We hardly knew much about ice cream. But across the way, there was another island where there was electricity and they made ice. And so many times a year, mother would give us a special treat, send over and buy a block of ice, and she would be cooking the custard in the day. And there was going to be, the, 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 the ice cream freezer was bought, brought out, the old hand model, you know. Any of you know that kind of model? And then we waited for the boat to come and to have this ice cream. But I must confess with you that, confess to you, that the expectancy of ice cream was a little bit overshadowed by the fact that my mother had a generous eye. Oh, I can think of churning that ice cream. You crank with the right hand and that gets tired and you start with the left hand and you work and you work and you look forward. But you know, when that ice cream is in, as we say, 
when it has frozen and mother begins to scoop out. This neighbor has to get a glass and that neighbor has to get a glass and come, come, come children, take a glass to that neighbor and you just see the, the, the tub going down, you know, and you wonder how many more neighbors to get glasses. But mother had a generous eye. She felt that she should share with this neighbor and that neighbor and the other neighbor. This is what Jesus Christ is saying. He says that when your eye is generous, your whole body is full of light. And it is true, you know. I was out on a district visit once. And it's not so long ago either. And the district superintendent and I were to make a trip to a distant church and we had to leave home before the supper hour. And the host and hostess caring for me felt that um, they should plan a little uh, repast for me to take along. So I was given two sandwiches and, and some cookies. We started along the road. For some reason or other, that, that, that afternoon, I was good and hungry, as you would say. And the thought came to me now, if I take out my sandwiches, what about my district superintendent friend? Well, I thought he should be wise enough to think that he'll need a little repast. And so I wondered, however am I going to do this thing? I'm hungry. I think that these sandwiches are just about what I need. And so I, I finally decided, let the sun go down a little, a little lower. And I sort of quietly reached into the little package. And finally I got hold of a cookie. Turning my head discreetly, I slipped it into the mouth. But you know, I couldn't feel right. Something just didn't feel right. And finally, the only way to whip some of these things is just to act. I said to my friend, I said, look here. I said, um, my, my, my host and hostess have given me a little package here. And when we get to our destination, we'll share it. Praise the Lord. You know, what, you know what happened right away? I felt inside full of light. Praise the Lord. Something happened in my spirit before when I slipped that little cookie in, you know, discreetly. I didn't find much light down there. But the moment I told him I had a little lunch like the boy with his five loaves and two fish, I have a little lunch here and when we get to destination it will be shared. And so when we got to destination, opened up the bag, gave him a sandwich, gave him uh, uh, some of the cookies, at least less one that was, uh, that was already missing. I, I couldn't share that half. And then I ate my sandwich, and believe you me, I was still hungry. But you know, you know the joy? I would rather have an empty stomach and a full soul. 
I would rather have an empty stomach and a spirit that is rejoicing. Oh, my dear Christian friends this morning, Christ speaks a very decisive word on the danger of evilly loving earthly possessions. But look how practical the Lord gets. He also speaks a word and reminds us about the about eventually losing earthly possessions. And Jesus Christ says, don't you realize that natural forces can take away your earthly possessions? Don't you realize that the moth is there and the rust is there? Don't you realize natural forces can take away earthly possessions? You have a wonderful house, but the tornado comes, and where is it? You have some wonderful houses in the Caribbean. The termites come, and where is the house? The hurricane comes, and where is the house? Natural forces can take away our earthly possessions, Jesus reminds. And then he says, not only natural forces, Jesus is coming to some down-to-earth kind of language. He says there are also criminal forces that can take away your earthly possessions. The thieves get in. You know how many people have lost their earthly possessions? Because criminal forces have operated. And my friends, we could, we, could, we could multiply, we could add to those forces. Sometimes financial forces take away our earthly possessions. Years and years ago, people went to bed with money. But the next morning, depression struck and all their money wasn't worth very much. You know, banks can fail, my friends. Isn't the world today pressured by inflation and recession and, and depression? We have all these economic forces upon us. Oh, yes, we can lose it by financial forces. We can lose earthly possessions, Jesus says. They can go. And we might add that we can lose them by temporal forces. Death comes we must let go. Death comes and we must give up. Just this morning reading a little bit in this area, one writer says that one second after death, I can't sign another check. I can't sign another check. One second after death, I can't sign another check. The temporal force of death has come and taken it all away. And so Jesus Christ reminds us, my friends, that we must not base all our hope and our treasures and our heart upon earthly possessions because we can evilly love earthly possessions and we can eventually lose earthly possessions. But then Jesus Christ comes with the glorious word to us and he reminds us that we can eternally lay up earthly possessions. Praise the Lord. We can eternally lay up earthly possessions. I like to call it the transferable conversion of earthly possessions. You know, in some areas of the world, we are very conscious about money in these days. 
There are some of our islands in the Caribbean that when you leave the island, you can't leave with more than X number of dollars. You just can't. You can't get the money changed. Governments are concerned about trying to save their money and conserve their money. You can't get money changed. You can't get it transferred. They want to keep all the money they can within the country. Thank God you don't have those kind of problems in America. But I tell you some places, it becomes acute. It becomes acute. But my friends, I know one way that money can be converted. It can be converted into heavenly currency. Amen. Praise the Lord. It can be transferred to heavenly banks. Praise the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ is admonishing us that we should lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Don't evilly love earthly possessions. Remember that you can eventually lose earthly possessions. But Jesus Christ says, as Christians, we must eternally lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Praise the Lord. The moths don't get up there. The thieves don't break in up there. The banks don't fail over there. Christian giving is one of the greatest invest investments in all the world. And how do we lay up treasures over there? We lay up treasures over there, first of all, through heavenly disposition. Through a heavenly disposition. When you get saved and when you get sanctified, you have already begun to lay up treasures in heaven. For my Bible tells me that we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And he's talking about spiritual riches there. My Bible talks in Ephesians 2 about being rich in mercy. And again in Timothy, it talks about being rich in good works and rich in faith in James 2. And you remember in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ urged the Laodicean church, buy of me gold that you might be rich. And once you get saved and sanctified, you're on the way to be a millionaire in heaven. Praise the Lord. Once you get saved and sanctified, you're on the way to be a billionaire in the glory world. Hallelujah. But we lay up treasures in heaven not only by heavenly disposition. We lay up treasures in heaven by holy deeds. By holy deeds. Praise the Lord. Stephen Alford has a wonderful little outline on this. And he speaks about what God demands. He demands our tithes. He demands our tithes. Those are his by law, shall we say. As Christians, we do it in love, but he demands our tithes. Those belong to him. But there is not only what he demands, there is what he deserves. And he deserves our offerings. Over and above our tithes, our offerings. We love him. We give him our offerings. Praise the Lord. 
And then there is what he directs. He directs that we should owe no man anything but to love one another. Our governmental debts must be paid. Our commercial debts must be paid. Praise the Lord. We must be fair and honest and upright and forthright in this matter of taking care of our debts. Christian people must pay their debts. Amen. We must be faithful. If you have made a promise and you cannot fulfill that promise, you ought to let people know, I'm sorry, I can't fulfill it now and for this reason. What God demands, what God deserves, what God directs. And then perhaps we might add what God defends. He defends a certain wise providing for children, for future. He uh, defends a certain saving so that we can have to give. In fact, the Bible says God is able to make all grace abound towards us that we always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. There was a long time when I took that verse as spiritual blessing, but it really doesn't mean spiritual blessing. It means that God is able to give me material things so that I will have to give to others. And some people don't have to give because... They don't save. They don't save. As God's people, we must save in order that we might give. Oh, praise the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, friends, how about your bank account in heaven? How about your bank account in heaven? What about your riches over there? How are you getting along with your riches over there? You know, the story is told about a certain king that wanted a very wonderful palace built and he was trying to find one of the best architects and builders to build this. And finally, there was sent to him, by the direction of the Lord, a man to build. And so he gave him his money and his wealth to build this house, this palace, he went into a distant country. He was gone for about two years. In the meanwhile, this man, instead of building a palace, was distributing his treasures among the poor and the sick and the needy. And when the king returned, he was full of wrath when he found out what this man had done. And he put him into prison. Sometime following that, the king's brother died. And after he had lay there for a, a number of days, he suddenly sat up, the story goes. And he said to his brother, the king, the man that you would torture is a servant of God. He says, behold, I have been in paradise. And the angel showed me a wonderful palace of gold and silver and precious stones. And they said, this is the palace that the builder has built it for your brother. And with a broken heart, the king rushed to the prison and released the builder. And then the builder said to him, Knowest thou 
that those who would possess heavenly things have little care for the things of earth. He says there are in heaven rich palaces without number which are prepared from the beginning of the world for those who would purchase the possession through faith and charity. What about your house over yonder, friend? In fact, one commentator says, the rich give to the poor down here, but the poor prepare for the rich over there. Oh, thank God. We do not need to let our earthly possessions so tie us down that we love them with an evil love. We do not need to let our earthly possessions so take hold of us that we eventually lose them and we have nothing left. We can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven until we don't lose anything really. We transfer it all over there where we're going someday. And God's cause is worthy of our support. Praise the Lord. Your church, the kingdom of God, the work of missions is worthy of your support. And if you'll allow me to say this morning in the most humble way I know, God's Bible school is worthy of our support. The Lord has been pressing very deeply on my heart this camp meeting as, as, as never before that this school is of utmost importance in the Christian community. At its historic beginning, it was important for the consolidation of holiness. At this crucial hour in the history of the church, it is important for the conservation of holiness. And oh, that God would help us not to withhold. And oh, that God would invest the administrators of the school in the wisest spending. And oh, that God would help us to lift up our eyes. The need is great. We need to go on and not merely hold what we have, but to expand and to grow, to add to our curriculum, to add to our expansion of faculties, to add to the training we can give to young men and young women, to improve what we have and to add other areas of training and send out spirit-filled Holy Ghost men and women into a world is dying. It won't be long, friends, before time will close and we must leave the scene of worth. And as I said, a second after death, no more checks to be signed. May God help us to be wise now and to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. God grant that we may do that in his name for our benefit and glory for our benefit and good, and for the glory of the eternal God. Amen. Shall we pray?
Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Thank you.